Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Jesus is King. So before we get into Matthew 2, before we talk about the visit of the Magi to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to briefly share with you some of the events that led up to that visit. And so in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you're new to the Bible, in between Malachi and Matthew, there's a period of about 400 years, a period when God was silent to his people. And so in between Malachi and Matthew, there was no prophetic word from heaven to the earth. But all that was about to change. How many of you are glad that we have the New Testament or the new revelation from God? And so after 400 years of silence, God broke his silence. And in the opening pages of the New Testament, we see that God sent an angel, Gabriel, First, he sent Gabriel to Zacharias, the priest, to announce the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. And then he sent that same angel, Gabriel, to a virgin, a teenager, a Jewish girl named Mary, to announce something a million times more important than the birth of John the Baptist. And of course, that's the birth of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, as you always see in scriptures, whenever an angel showed up, people were afraid, okay? It's not the little angels in your bathroom, you know, that you have like a little plump thing on a cloud with a halo and little wings, and no one's afraid of those things. Those aren't biblical angels. When a biblical angel shows up, um, usually there's like significant fluid loss when a person sees an angel for the first time. It's just like, cannot believe it. Well, this angel showed up, and Mary was afraid. And the angel said this to Mary. Check it out on your screen. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name what? He goes on to say that he will be great. That's an understatement. And will be called the son of the highest. There's his divinity. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There's his humanity. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, for how long, church family? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What a great way to end 400 years of silence. So Gabriel told Mary that even though she had never known a man intimately, even though she had never had sex, in her life, that the power of the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her, and through a miracle of the Holy Spirit, she would conceive, she would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And so this child, Mary's child, would be unlike any child that's ever existed in the history of mankind. He would be 100% God and 100% man. And so concerning the 100% God or divinity within Christ, Gabriel told Mary he's going to be called the son of the highest. And so in the beginning, as I said last week, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, what? Was God. Okay. And so he's going to be called the son of the highest. That's his divinity. But also 
he's going to receive the throne of his father, David. And so there's a glimpse at Jesus' humanity, 100% human as well. And so ladies and gentlemen, here's what you gotta understand today as you gather together with a church family, that the primary reason that churches all over the world are getting together tonight and tomorrow, one primary reason is called the incarnation. You say, what's the incarnation? It's a fancy word that theologians use to describe what I just said. That 2,000 years ago, the eternal God took on human flesh. That's the incarnation. God took on human flesh and he became a man. So why did he come? Why did he take on human flesh? Here's why. He came, this is in Jesus' words, to seek and to save those who were lost. See, there's bad news in the Bible and there's good news in the Bible. So we'll start with the bad news. The bad news of the, of the, in the Bible states this, that all humanity is lost. Everybody. And so, for by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. Ladies and gentlemen, we're born sinners. We choose to sin, therefore we are all lost. You cannot, what people call, what the Bible more importantly calls, get saved until you realize that you're lost, until you realize that your sin has separated you from God. Romans 6.23 says the penalty of sin is what, church family? Death, that's physical death and spiritual death. But aren't you glad for the good news of the Bible? The good news is that God didn't leave us in our lost condition. God didn't leave us as sinners deserving death. No, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, that means believe means personally trust. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right now, hell is filled with people who died in their sins without being reconciled to God. And God weeps because he sent his son so that nobody would ever have to go to that awful place. And so it happened, just as Gabriel said it would, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon this young Jewish virgin and the promised child was conceived inside of her. Now all of that happened in Nazareth, way up in Galilee, while Mary and her fiance Joseph were living separately. By the way, the Bible makes that very clear in the gospels that before they were married, they lived separately. And so they were living separately um, up in Nazareth, but then came the decree. Again, again, I'm giving you the order of events before we get to Matthew chapter two. And so the decree came from Caesar Augustus that everybody in the Roman Empire had to return to their city of origin in order to be registered for taxes. Because Joseph was of the house and lineage of King David, he and Mary went from Nazareth, 70 miles south, to that little town of Bethlehem. And so who knows, maybe it was because of the rough terrain, the bumpy ride, but we know as we study the scriptures that by the time Joseph and Mary, who was in her third trimester, who was ready to pop, by the time they got to Bethlehem, the contractions had started. Now, when you entered into those um, ancient Eastern villages 
oftentimes there were these things called an inn. Not like, you know, holiday inn that we think of today, right? The, the, the Greek word is kataluma, kataluma. And so Bethlehem had a kataluma. Well, what in the world is, is that? Well, we always get a little help from our friends when we study commentaries. And the late Dr. G. Coleman Luck from the Moody Bible Institute tells us, as he studied ancient history, that these katalumas, these inns, um, were in these various ancient eastern villages for the sake of travelers. And so when travelers would come into a village in the middle of the town, in the open square, there would be these two-story structures. The animals would sleep on the first story, and the people would sleep on the second story. And so they got, Mary and, 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 and Joseph got to Bethlehem, and there was the inn, and there was no room upstairs. It was already packed with people. So guess where they had to stay? Downstairs with the animals. And so in that humble setting, Mary gave birth to the Son of God. Joseph cleaned the baby, cut the umbilical cord. The Bible says they placed him in, in a manger. Does anybody know what a manger, what that word means? It's a feeding trough. Can you imagine the eternal God coming to this planet to save you and to save me. And he chooses not to be born in a palace in Jerusalem. He chooses to be born in an animal shelter. Joseph's got to clean out this feeding trough to put the Christ child in. So after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary left the animal shelter. And we know from Matthew 2.11, we'll get there in a minute, that they stayed in a house. They found a house in Bethlehem. According to the law of Moses, because of course they were Jewish, on the eighth day, Christ was circumcised. 40 days after his birth, he was dedicated at the Jewish temple, right down the road from Bethlehem in Jerusalem. And so when you look at the order of events, you find that by the time you get to Matthew chapter two, most likely months, months have gone by. So with all that background, we pick it up today in our text, Matthew chapter two, verse one. So if you're looking at that verse, can you just say amen so I know you're there? Amen. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men. In the Greek, it's megas from where we get our English word, magi. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his what? In the original, it's aster. I'll explain that in a moment. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so after Jesus was born, probably months, what happened? Well, these wise men, traveled way from the east in search of the king of the Jews. Who are these wise men? These megas. Well, Blue Letter Bible, again, a little help from our friends and commentaries. The, if you have an NIV Bible, you're looking at magi and not wise men, but here, here's what these guys were. The name given by the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and others, to the wise men, teachers, priests, Physicians, 
astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, that's people who interpret omens, soothsayers, sorcerers, etc., etc., etc. And so this magi, this group, came from the east. Maybe they came from Babylon, which would be ancient Iraq. Maybe they came as far as Persia, which would be modern-day um, Iran. So Babylon, modern-day Iraq, Persia, modern-day Iran, that's where these guys came from. And what you need to know is that they were of an order called the Magos, the Magi, that had been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, spanning four world empires. And so these guys, who've been their, their order that, that, that had been um, around for so long in human history, they were the advisors of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ancient kings that lived in the East over the years. And so while they're back home, maybe it's Persia, maybe it's Babylon, no one knows for sure, but while they were back east, they saw this star, this aster. And somehow, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, that star alerted them, signified to them that the king of the Jews had been born. And so now they decide they're gonna go see this king. There's lots of, by the way, quick side note, of opinions about what the star is, and I'll throw in my opinion um, a little later in the message here. But the fascinating twist about this whole story of the Magi's visit to Jesus, the, 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 the child Jesus, is this, and that is their relationship with Daniel. How many of you guys, by show of hand, ever read the book in the Old Testament called Daniel? Let me just see your hands if you've read that book. Well, what you gotta understand is that um, Jewish legend, okay, so I'm, I'm differenti differentiating between legend and truth, the scripture, but nonetheless, Jewish legend says that Daniel began the order of the Magi. And where they get that from is when you read Daniel, you find out that in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and they deported a bunch of Jews, young handsome, strong, smart Jewish men up to Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel in charge of all, this is in the Bible, all the wise men of that day. And so most of the Magi over four world empires were pagans. I mean, soothsayers and sorcerers and interpreting omens. But we know that Daniel knew the true and living God. And in the book of Daniel, there's these stunning prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. So we don't have time to study it now, but someday um, we'll look at, again, Daniel chapter nine, because in Daniel chapter nine, it's the most fascinating prophecy in the entire Bible, but there's a prophecy, once again, from, Ga from Gabriel, where Gabriel tells Daniel when Messiah would come in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, what we believe is not a myth. What we believe is not a fairy tale. We're not here celebrating the, the arrival of Santa Claus tonight, right? We're here because there really was a king and he's still reigning on the throne of heaven today. And there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament and all those prophecies can be only fulfilled in one man, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And so if you're here today and you're in unbelief, if you're here today and you're on the fence, if you're here today and you don't know which way to decide, what you need to know is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's a fact. And you have to decide what your relationship with him will be. And so in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives us a prophecy called the 77s and 77-year periods, and there's actually 69 seven-year periods from the going forth of a command to, the re, uh, to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It says right there, until Messiah comes. So I believe, because Daniel was probably the first magi, started the order, and that this magi, hundreds of years later, had his writings that they read Daniel. They did the math. They looked up into the sky and they saw that star. And what did these men do? They loaded up their camels and they began the long trip from ancient Babylon, 500 miles, or maybe ancient Persia, 900 miles from the east all the way to, Jer to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, what did they ask? Look at verse two. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? Can you imagine these guys show up in Jerusalem? They, they would have thought everybody in Jerusalem, nobody knows anything. You know why? Because just like today in that day, there was ignorance of this book, the scriptures. Where's he who's born king of the Jews? These wise men said. And so the people in Jerusalem didn't know. And so let's find out what happens in the story. Look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The whole city of Jerusalem back in, they, in that day, tens of thousands of people were troubled by this. Verse four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in where? Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the what? Prophet. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, if I could just have your attention, please. Here we have another proof why we don't believe in fairy tales. Why everything that we're saying here is fact. Because once again, they're looking at the prophets. And once again, there's another prophecy over 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Back in Micah 5.2, did you know that in the Old Testament, when talking about the coming Messiah, they actually gave the town he'd be born in? And so Herod says, Where, where's the, the Messiah gonna be born? And they said, in Bethlehem. It's written by the prophet, the prophet Micah. Look at verse six. He's quoting Micah 5, 2 here. But you, what? There it is. 700 BC. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a, what? A ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so Herod the Great, the great architect, the one who built all these, um, if you ever go with us to Israel, we're going in March, 
Um, if you ever go with us, we'll go to these incredible structures in Israel like Masada. Um, we'll see um, Caesarea by the sea and, and the incredible ruins of the palace that Herod the Great had created. He, he's the one who enhanced the second, the vassal king who was appointed by Rome to rule over the province of Judea in the first century. Herod the Great, the murderer who killed anybody who got in the way of him getting the power that he wanted, even his own family members. That Herod, when he heard that the Magi had come to Jerusalem and that they were asking questions about the birth of the king of the Jews, Herod was greatly troubled. As far as he was concerned, he was the king of the Jews. And he didn't want any competition. And so he didn't know the Bible. By the way, ignorance of the scriptures once again. Herod didn't know the scriptures. And so he had to call in some Jewish scholars and ask them, where is the Messiah gonna be born? And they took him to Micah and they said, in Bethlehem. Look now at verse seven. And when Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Liar. What a liar. You know, there's nothing worse than someone who tries to act all religious when in their personal life, they're as wicked as they can be. Nothing worse. Oh, tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. Herod didn't want to worship the child. He wanted to murder the child. And we know if we had time, we would continue the story. You can read it later. But Herod pretty soon is going to have his soldiers go to Bethlehem. And what are they going to do? They're going to take out, kill, murder all the kids in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. Herod today is rotting in hell. And by the way, when the rich man in Luke 16 died, it says in hell he opened up his eyes in torments. You are conscience, conscious in hell. The Bible does not teach that people go to hell and they cease to exist. The rich man is still in hell and he's still in torment. And Herod today is still in hell and he's still in torment. Why? Because they died in their sins when God sent a savior. That's the meaning of Christmas. And so Herod, what does he do? He says, let me know and I'll go and worship him. Well, he sends his soldiers. Thank God, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were long gone by then. But look at verse nine. When they, the wise men, heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great Joy. So the star, listen, that they had seen back in Persia or Babylon, now all of a sudden it reappears and they follow it and it stands over the house where little baby Jesus and his parents are living. Now, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, this is not an actual star. Stars are too large to stand over a house. The 
smallest known star is the red dwarf, which by the way is 20% larger than the planet Jupiter. How large is Jupiter? Check it out. You remember from elementary, Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system? Do you remember in your science class in elementary how every, every planet in our solar system can fit inside of Jupiter? Guess how many planet Earths can fit into Jupiter? One, somebody's Googling it in the back. <laughs> 1,300 Earths can fit into Jupiter. The smallest star is 20% bigger than Jupiter. And so if an actual star came and hovered over a house, life as we know it would end. Okay, so this is not an actual star. It, the, the Greek word is aster. So what, what is it? Remember I told you I'd give you my, my opinion? Okay, I'll throw it in there. I don't think this was an actual star at all. I think this was a supernatural phenomenon from God. Maybe it was an angel, because in the Old Testament, sometimes angels are called stars, right? At creation, the, the, the stars sang, and the sons of God rejoiced as God was creating the universe. The angels, which were already in existence, were rejoicing. They're called stars. Or, this is what I think, Maybe it was like the pillar of fire back in the book of Exodus. Do you remember that? And so as the children of Israel for 40 years would wander in the desert during the day, they were guided by this cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, and then at night, they were led around by this pillar of fire, this great light. And so, that's my opinion. Look at verse 11. It says, and when they had come into the house, not into the animal shelter, this is not the night he was born. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and did what? You see, these guys who may have been pagans made the right choice. They worshiped the king of the Jews, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so people assume that because three gifts were given to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that there were three wise men. It's pure speculation. I know you're thinking right now, but my, my um, nativity scene under the tree back home's got three wise men. It's not in the Bible. You say, well, what do you think? What I think is that back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when the Magi, the Magos, came into Jerusalem, it says the whole city was troubled. I don't think just three guys could cause a whole city of tens of thousands of people to be troubled. I think this was a big entourage with guards because these guys were a big deal back home in the East. They were the advisors of kings. And so we don't know actually how many magi there were, but we know that they came into Bethlehem. And I want you now to picture in your mind a caravan, a huge caravan coming in to Bethlehem. In that day, Bethlehem only had three to 4,000 people. Okay, we're talking about it's a little country town. And so if a big city like Jerusalem, a metropolis, was all troubled over this large caravan, can you imagine how excited the, the people in the little town of Bethlehem were? 
can you imagine how Joseph and Mary reacted? I mean, I, I, I can see Mary looking out the window. Joe, you're not gonna believe what just pulled up outside. You know, and, and they're coming to our door and there's like a bright light over our house. You know, what's going on? Now, now Jesus wasn't a little infant, right? He's a toddler by now. And so she, Mary probably said, Joe, grab Jesus, get him. Oh, there he goes. Oh. Grab him, grab him, give him to me, give him to me. And so Mary's holding Jesus, and look what happens when the wise men come into the house. Look at verse 11 again. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and did what? Worshiped him. Get the picture. Maybe there's 20, maybe there's 30 or 40. Maybe they gotta come in two by two because Joseph and Mary were poor and they probably only had a little house. And when they came in, grown men fell down on their face before the child, Jesus. Grown men laying down prostrate. Grown, dignified men who were esteemed back in Persia or Babylon are on their face. Why? Because they finally saw the one Daniel had talked about over 500 years earlier. Check out what Daniel said in his book back in the Old Testament. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him, Jesus, near before him, the Father. Then to him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that how many peoples? All peoples, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall never be destroyed. That's what the Bible says about this little child. And I believe the Magi, because Daniel was the first one, knew the scriptures. And that's why they hit their face, because they knew that that child was unlike any other child ever born. They knew that one day that child would usher in the kingdom and he would reign forever and ever. The question is this. The question is this. Does he reign over your life? Does he reign over your heart? Or are you just religious? Does he rule over you? Do you sometimes get on your face in the presence of Jesus Christ? Is he number one in your life? Is he central? Or is there something else in your life that takes that number one central place? And so this is the part of the Christmas story, by the way, that gets people uncomfortable. You see, anybody can deal with a little baby in a manger that doesn't make any demands over our life. But what do you do with a king who's coming to rule over everybody? What do you do with him? Why were the wise men wise? Here's why. They searched for Jesus. They studied the word and they worshiped him. The question is, in 2017, will you be a wise man or a wise woman? Will you search for Jesus through prayer? See, it's your choice. Nobody can force you. 
The hope is that you'll understand who this child was and who he will be when he comes back. And the hope is that you'll make a decision to begin to search for Jesus through prayer. Will you be a wise man, a wise woman, and begin in 2017 to study his word? Or will you be ignorant of the scriptures like the people in Jerusalem when Jesus came the first time? No idea, because they didn't know the word of God. We're getting ready to hit January 1st. So I've already got my two-year Bible reading plan printed out in my new Bible, and I'm ready to rock and roll starting January 1st. I just finished going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'm ready to excited to go through it again. Will you be a wise man or a wise woman? Will you worship the Lord, not just through song, but through your life? in public and in private. Be authentic, not perfect, but be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, the first step to all of this is that you have to be reconciled to the Lord. You see, before you can search for Jesus, study his word, worship him, follow him, before you can become a follower of Jesus, you gotta meet Jesus. And now I'm gonna go back to the first part of my message. There's good news and bad news in the Bible. The bad news is that our sin has separated us from God, that nobody is good enough to earn their way to heaven. And the wages, the penalty of sin is death. That word death in the original language is not just physical death. They bury you or burn you and you cease to exist, no. How many of you guys understand that this body is more than just a body? You have an eternal soul and your eternal soul will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. That's the bad news. The good news is, I just shared it. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And I'll be the first one to admit, I was lost. My sin separated me from God. And I'm so glad so many years ago that someone shared this good news with me and I became reconciled with the Lord. And I allowed Jesus and his blood to forgive all of my sins, past, present, future. So maybe you're here today and you've never come to Christ. You've never received him as your savior. You need to be reconciled with God and here's what he'll do. He'll give you a joy that you've never had before in your heart. He'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding in your heart. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you live apart from him in this life or the next. Maybe you've never come to Christ. Maybe you have a while back, but you're, you're not living for him. You're, you're far, far away from him. Can you hear the Savior's voice tonight? He's saying, come back to me. I love you, what are you doing over there? You see, it's the sheep that goes astray that gets picked off by the enemy. Come on back, the good shepherd says. Come on back. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we wanna help. Visit our website 
at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.